0: Donald Trump blasts the fake news media for ignoring Russia's uranium deal with Clinton. Meanwhile, The New York Times alleges fake news ads are popping up even on fact-checking websites. And the Democrats and John McCain, but I repeat myself, are pushing legislation to require more transparency on Facebook ads. We'll discuss where the fake news really lies. Then our cultural correspondent Andy Millennial joins to discuss what the youth are keen on and hep to these days, as well as the crisis in the arts. Finally, all of your problems will be solved in the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Okay, now away from the real news, now we have to get to fake news. There's fake news everywhere. Trump tweeted this morning, the uranium deal to Russia with Clinton help and Obama administration knowledge is the biggest story that fake media doesn't want to follow. Uh, Now, this comes on the heels of this week uh, evidence emerged that the FBI knew as early as 2009 that Russian operatives were using bribes and dirty tactics to shore up their atomic energy footprint in the United States. The Obama administration approved the uranium deal benefiting Moscow anyway. Hillary Clinton has been implicated in this all the while, let's not forget that Mueller the, the special counsel who's investigating Donald Trump, he was FBI director at the time. Uh, this this is, uh, doesn't look good for uh, Democrats, for the FBI investigation, or for the Russia investigation, rather, and, uh, and, and all, it only looks good for fake news. Uh, Democrats are gearing up to battle the allegedly pro-Trump fake news. The New York Times alleges that uh, fake news has been in, uh, hitting websites like Snopes and PolitiFact, the alleged uh, fact-checking websites. Democrats are sponsoring legislation to require Facebook ads to disclose who is paying for them. All of this misses the point. Fake news is fake news. The term emerged when a left-wing college professor, but I repeat myself again, circulated a Google document that listed lots of right-wing websites, including the Daily Wire, in the days after the 2016 election. Democrats accused all right-wing websites of propagating fake news, the same ridiculous smear that they used to tie to the formerly only right-of-center news outlet, Fox News. Conservatives then, pouncing on the absurdity of this claim, pointed out the countless unsubstantiated and outright false smears against Donald Trump and Republicans that mainstream outlets like the TV network, CNN, The New York Times, Washington Post, breathlessly reported. CNN's now-retracted Russia collusion story, which even forced them to fire a team of reporters, comes to mind. Another example, among countless examples, the New York Times ran a bombshell fake news report headlined, quote, Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. Even James Comey, under oath, was forced to admit that this was not true. Now, Donald Trump then masterfully positioned himself to appropriate the term. It stuck to the New York Times and it stuck to CNN in a way that it didn't stick to us. Because the charge rings so true. The alleged epidemic of fake news that John McCain and other Democrats want, to, uh, want new laws to address is itself fake news. Another term for fake news is propaganda. That's the old term. Propaganda is nothing new. It's been around forever. It will remain a communications tool as long as people speak to one another. President Trump has narrowed in on the real issue the fake news media. The issue isn't random websites promoting partisan press releases. It's the enormous institutional behemoths, like the mainstream media, which purport to present objective facts without partisan slant, often on public airways, but in reality are simply shills for Democrats and they attack Republicans. They're the fake news media because they aren't news media. They're attack dogs for Democrats. It's a subtle distinction, but an important one. Fake news is fake news, but the fake news media are real adversarial and conservatives ought to fight them tooth and nail. Don't give them an inch. Okay. That's enough of the news. That's all the news I want to talk about. A little bit of fake news, a lot of real news. Now we have to bring on our one and only cultural correspondent, Andy Millennial. Andy, thanks for being here. Sup? So uh, Andy, you're a millennial, you're in Hollywood. All you kids, all you're tweeting about these days are the Me Too campaign, the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal. You've been out here. What have you noticed? Well, you know, as a as a
1: millennial uh, who de- identifies as a young woman, I. Came out here with my eyes full of stars and you know Mm -hmm. these innocent hopes and dreams and you know I immediately uh, uh, ran into incredible, incredible sexual uh, you know harassment. I uh, I was living with a couple of other young girls and you know I suggested that we all start taking showers together. I'm sorry.
0: Really. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we, I, almost, we almost broke our record there, really right? i know you you kept it longer than i did that i was going to say to protect us from harvey weinstein but they, they wouldn't listen to me you
0: know? I, that image was one that i just couldn't take anymore really uh, well andy right to have you back and it's I, great
1: to be here you so. know
0: for those who haven't been following which you certainly should uh, Andrew Clavin and I have a new podcast out together. It's a narrative fiction podcast called Another Kingdom. It's what <laughs> Drew wrote, so he did all the work, and I, I read it then. And uh, I, I will say publicly for the first time, Andrew Clavin cast me in Another Kingdom, and the casting process was... It, it was a lot like what you're reading in the papers, folks. It, <laughs> That's true. It That's was, true. No. Uh, yeah. It I was... am known
1: as the Harvey Weinstein of the podcast. That's true. Uh, I, <laughs> people do call me that. <laughs> of the narrative podcast. I thought it was all the Oscars, and I thought, no, it's just because I chase people around the room. all <laughs> <of> the <that>. time. <laughs>
0: Uh, the podcast has been a lot of fun, and people are responding to it. People shockingly, people really like
1: it. I mean, it's—I it's, think it's now—it's all, all five-star reviews. Mm-hmm. We're not—I'm not doing it. You doing uh, no, it? No, I know. Like, I yeah. tried
0: to. They won't let me. Know, exactly. all my tricks? <laughs> it no, it is. It's all five-star reviews. All it's five got, five got a, a bunch of. If you—if you have listened, by the way, even if you haven't, I don't really care. Go over there and leave a five-star review. It helps us out. D- definitely check out the show.
1: Subscribe on iTunes. And that sub- really be helps sure us to
0: subscribe out. on iTunes, Stitcher, yeah. Google Play. And, um, what i really like about this podcast is that we couldn't have we couldn't have had anyone make it for us no one would have accepted this. They wouldn't have made a movie. They wouldn't have published a no, book. There's
1: no, there's no chance of it. I mean, I, you know, I, I've almost stopped pitching in Hollywood because I just know it's going to get to a certain level and die. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think, I mean, this, this is not a political story. This is just a yeah. fantasy. It's about a, a failed Hollywood screenwriter. One day, he walks through a door and he finds himself in a bizarre fantasy land. And he's a murder suspect right. in this bizarre fantasy land. We should say that the second episode drops tomorrow. Right?
0: Yeah, because so. they're coming out once a week. So once we a launched week, it on. Friday October 13th and uh, they'll be coming out every Friday so we have the second episode coming out tomorrow um, it, but the people might be, well people might be confused just on this one bit <laughs> I uh, will never work in Hollywood again, and I barely worked before. But you're a real Hollywood guy. You've had these big movies. You, you know.
1: I, I had a, a very good run of screen. And by the way, I was dra- I never. I, all I ever wanted to do was write stories like this. is write novels yeah. and and fictional stories. And I was dragged into Hollywood, and I was selling scripts at a very quick pace. You know, they like, as most screenwriters will tell you, they weren't getting made, right. but I was getting paid for them. And and a couple got made. And you know, then I started to speak out about politics and my phone stopped ringing like that. And now it's funny, I do get calls because they know I can do certain things really well, but I just, I'm just always
0: suspicious that I'm never going to get past a certain point once they Google me. The Google, find- that's the point you're not <laughs> yeah. going to get past. Exactly. So, because it's not a partisan story, it's not about now, Republicans, right? but it's a story that just does not care about political correctness, it doesn't care about... Uh, a lot of the tropes that you find in mainstream Hollywood and entertainment. If you're describing the world,
1: right, you want to, to me, this has always been true. There's no sense in sitting down at a computer Mm -hmm. to write something if you're not going to try and tell the truth. So if you're just simply describing the world, you very quickly become politically incorrect. Right. Because girls are girls, and men are men, and we want certain things, and we desire certain, you know, and and you just can't describe that world and stay politically correct if Mm -hmm. you're going to be honest. And so I, I would say, they might have gotten past the first chapter on this, maybe, but after that, we're done. <laughs> the,
0: <laughs> the one bit, there is a transgender killer. Oh, yeah, the transgender that killer. That would have knocked it right. I mean, you would have been right, right, stormed out of the room.
1: No question. And the, and the thing is about becoming a man to some degree. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a journey, and it's a guy's a guy's journey. And I think that, that all that stuff is just, you just can't write about it anymore, honestly, right. and, and get into mainstream uh, show business, which, to be honest with you, I, I don't care. I just want to do
0: what I do. You know, that so. is the really liberating yeah. thing is it, every time I really wanted to be in this movie or to get this TV part or something, my whole life staked on it. I was miserable and, that, and, I, and it was hard to do. And now I've got a ton of opportunities, I get to make whatever I want and, it's a, and there is a little bit in this growing up narrative. Uh, Hollywood is fantasy land, it's where like, <laughs> the craziest people in the world who don't want to grow up move and work here and you see that evolution. With Austin Lively, with that's the main right. character, yeah. even as he's fighting off ogres and knights, it,
1: right? Because you do, you know, people do come here with this idea. They start out with this idea. They want to make art, mm-hmm. or they want to act. They want to do all these things, and you wind up like, you know, in toilet paper commercials. Right. And you think, well, at least I'm working, you know, yeah. and all this stuff. But that's not really what you so- set out to do. And the and the town does churn you into that. I always tease my actors friends, my actor friends, that they start out studying Hamlet, and they end up if they're successful, if they really
0: make it, they end up shouting, "Let the girl go for the rest." Of their lives. You know? If you're lucky. I if mean, you're lucky. truly yeah. the top 1% of a 1%. And there's that old showbiz line the, about the guy who's shoveling out the elephant cage, you know, yeah. and he's mopping it up. And his buddy comes up to him and says, D- Don't you want to get another job? And he says, What, leave show business? <laughs> yeah, I, I?
1: I know. I, I mean, I teased my pal uh, Nick Searcy, the guy who was in Justified and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And I, I made that joke to him, and he said that literally, like, his first line in movies was something like, Get out of the car. You know, that's, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what you wind up saying the rest
0: of your Nick's life. Nick's real art form is Twitter, by the his way. Twitter, if you're not following I mean, Nick is, Searcy the on the Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. vision of Twitter. So, Hollywood's fallen apart. We get to do whatever we want, and yep. maybe Hollywood will do something with it. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's just a Podcast and people like it. You're the prophet of this conservative cultural bizarrely.
1: I am the prophet. It's really weird. There's, there's no question. You about
0: published it. Crisis in the Arts a few years ago. You uh, predicted a lot of what was happening. You call, or rather you called for what's happening. Yeah. And then like. Uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, Forrest Gump or something, you end up being in all the places that that's happening. It is it is bizarre. I mean, I, I said this to my wife like a, a couple of years ago. I said, I keep going and
1: making speeches going, we have to do this, this, and this. And then I noticed that I'm doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it, it really is weird because like I said, I only wanted to do one thing. I had this very focused, I have the opposite of attention deficit disorder. Once <laughs> I'm focused on something, I'm totally, and I, I only wanted to write books. I only wanted to write novels. And then I found myself doing podcasts. I mean, I helped invent an app uh, that told a ghost story, Haunting when Melissa. We, Haunting Melissa. He's you know, one 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 award, the Appy Award. Yeah, yes, yeah, and yeah. it was a bestseller for a couple of weeks there. And like, uh, you know, uh, I didn't invent the technical part of it. I just wrote the script yeah. um, for my friend Neil Edelstein. But I mean, it was weird to be, you know, Neil. Pitched it to me, and I just thought I got to do that. No one's mm-hmm. ever done that before, you know. And then this stuff I did started doing it PJTV, and now I do it here. These kind of small but comical political commentaries. And when I started out, nobody was doing.
0: It that was stuff. the first of the genre. Ah, I know, and now, it's, and now it's everywhere. My whole panel of deplorable so people who <laughs> who, who do, are doing that they, now. They, they you know, do that follow thing, they are your are footsteps.
1: A new generation of people doing, it. and I think look, the thing about it is, is I looked. I became a conservative. I was a liberal, grew up a liberal, and I became a conservative when I noticed that everything Ronald Reagan said was going to happen, happened. (laughs) And everything they said about him turned out to be untrue. Now, you know, you laugh about that now, but think about it for a minute. If suddenly you realized I don't know some bizarre thing like there was no Washington DC it was a complete construct of the media you go like wait everything is a lie that was the experience mm-hmm. the experience was you know when i saw the the berlin wall collapse i thought like you got to be kidding me right. you know like what
0: not, no 2 years after reagan leaves after, office after, 3 years after reagan said it would
1: happen and everybody said this idiot this fool this cowboy this actor you know <laughs> you go like oh i get it now you know he was right they were wrong and and i think that i I started to realize that there was an entire, uh, I I called it the empire of lies, Mm -hmm. of of this culture that was pushing stuff on us that wasn't good for people, wasn't true. It wasn't true that black people were being helped by it. It wasn't true that women were being helped by it. It was all untrue. And so I started to think, well, why aren't the other people talking about this? And I rapidly found out it was because conservatives as a group have neglected the culture. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the culture. They think the culture is Shakespeare and the opera and they don't think it's stranger things. They don't think it's Netflix and all that stuff. Fidget and course, spinners. And, obviously, and, fidget spinners. Yeah. and of course that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, which is why you and I kinda get Trump in a way. Yeah. Because when he goes out against the NFL, that's where the culture
0: is. That's you know? When the reality TV star, dumb <laughs> major reality TV star. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That is that is the culture. So where's it headed? Well, I
1: think I think what we I I say it like this. I you know, when when we had the Revolutionary War, the British came over the hill in ranks. Yeah. Biggest empire on earth, most powerful soldiers, best trained soldiers, they had the guns, they had the thing, and our guys were popping up from behind rocks with like flintlock pistols and popping them off, you know? that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. We're doing YouTube, we're doing podcasts, we're doing, you know, we can, I can write my next novel if I want and just publish it right online. You make, make, make more make money. You'll make more if money if you self-publish. That's right. as, as you would know from your, your <laughs> m- major publication. And, and like, I, I feel that we, they are an empire of lies and we are this little band mm-hmm. of gorillas popping up from behind the rocks, and from behind the trees and picking them off i think we're going to win Mm -hmm. i mean i think it's going to be like you know it's going to be tough we're going to have our valley forge we're going to have some tough times they're going to come after us they always come after us they have come after us i mean they came after me they've done whatever they can do to me you know but i think it's great i I think we're going to beat them and Mm -hmm. i think we are already beating them and i think that donald trump is a sign that we're beating them for all you know i have problems with him for all the things he does that i don't like he is a sign that we can be heard even as they're trying to drown us out
0: we, that we can the, the this one strong steady orange man can stand <laughs> up against that's the, that's the british strong. army up. Oh, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah i i share your hope yeah. entirely and it's great i'm not sick and tired of winning i am <laughs> no, not sick and tired of winning
1: there's not too much winning bring we, on more
0: cafefe no
1: question bring the cafe all the
0: way no. andy millennial it thanks always, for being here great uh so go awesome. uh Go spread the message to the kids, you know. And we look forward to hearing more on that teeny bopper culture next time. And another kingdom tomorrow, episode two. Make sure you tune in another kingdom. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere. Just search Andrew Claven's Another Kingdom. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to uh, leave a review and a five star review, and uh, let us know what you think about it too, um, because we are we are just little gorillas who are <laughs> posting this up. So uh, please send in your thoughts. All right, Andy, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Now, I really want to. Enlighten all of you. I want to change your lives. I can answer every one of your questions in the mailbag But I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube uh, to all of our current subscribers. Thank you very much You help keep the lights on fefe in my mug But uh, if you haven't subscribed go over to the dailywire.com It's ten dollars a month or one hundred dollars for an annual membership You get me You get the Andrew Klavan show you get the Ben Shapiro show. Yeah. Yeah, I know what else Michael what else? Here it is the leftist tears tumbler. It is the finest vessel for leftist tears in the entire country. We have several vintages, obviously, that it can hold. It's, you know, wine glasses. You need this for the strong red. You need this for the white wine. You need this. You no, know, this it holds them all. New York Times tiers, Hillary Clinton tiers, Barack Obama tiers. Be sure to go to the dailywire.com right now. You'll be able to put them in there, uh, hot or cold, always salty and delicious. We'll be right back. now we have the mailbag. We have uh, a lot of really uh, in-depth questions this week, so let's get right to it. The first question from Alex. Michael, if you could bare-knuckle box an historical figure, who would you box and why? Good question, Alex. I, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter, obviously. That's why I always have these all-women panels of deplorables. I, I don't want to fight too much. If I were forced to, if I were compelled to, I would ov- obviously want to choose the weakest political opponent that I or boxing opponent that I possibly could, that historical figure would be King Charles II of Spain. He was a Habsburg king that was so deeply inbred that he could barely function in any way. Um, The physician who performed his autopsy said that his body, quote, did not contain a single drop of blood. His heart was the size of a peppercorn. His lungs corroded, his intestines rotten and gangrenous. He had a single testicle black as coal and his head was full of water. That is my boxing opponent. It's going to be like um, Mayflower McGregor. From Hani. hey Michael, I recently started caring about the world rather than defaulting to the left like many of my high school peers, and I found recently that I need to educate myself about economics. Do you have any recommendations for books that to read that could give me an understanding of the conservative view of economics? Uh, P.S. My name is pronounced like Connie with an H. That's what I, That's what I said. Um, Yes, I do have a recommendation, especially if you're in high school. uh, You should read Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. There are a lot of great intro econ books, but Hazlitt's is great. It should be required reading in every high school in this country. Read it, and you will be able to debunk any nonsense that your high school pals are trying to throw at you. From Jeffrey, how much of success do you attribute to having attractive females on your panel so often? Listen, I'm a taken guy, okay? I'm engaged to sweet little Elisa. But regardless, I can assure you, I have had no success with the beautiful women on my panel. That date that I had with Roaming Millennial, that ended the minute that Ben Shapiro stopped playing violin. No success at all, unfortunately, what can you say? That's probably good. It's good for my soul, good for my marriage. Uh, that that, that uh, might save my, uh, save my spot in heaven someday. From Ashton, hey yon brethren of philosophical lucidity, is the mere fact of newspapers such as the New York Times endorsing presidential candidates per se evidence that they're biased cesspools of distortion, or should we, as conservatives, offer more evidence to support our claims? Thanks, Ashton. Uh, I don't know that it's the evidence that I would point to. I have no problem with newspaper editorial boards endorsing political candidates. The trouble is what, that those editors make terrible decisions about their reporting. So the I, I don't really have a problem with New York Times reporters, I have a problem with New York Times editors because the editors decide which stories go on the front page, which go on page 3050, wh- where the retractions go, uh, which stories get covered, which get buried. Cheryl Atkinson from CBS talks about stories being buried because they were critical of Obama. So uh, what I have a problem with, as we talked about earlier in the show, is news media pretending to be objective arbiters of whatever? They're not. They have a point of view, an editorial point of view. They can try to report the facts honestly, um, but they should should be honest or they're going to be fake news. From Andrew, why does the Bible say, quote, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must remain silent. That is from 1 Timothy 2.12. I don't know, man. Have you ever talked to them? Have you ever tried talking? No, I'm kidding. That's not true. The reason it's in the Bible is because someone put it in the Bible. But it is worth noting that uh, 1 Timothy and I think 2 Timothy are considered to be uh, uh, not actually written by St. Paul. So certain letters we know are written by St. Paul or we have a very good idea that they were. There, there's an, a consensus right now that 1 Timothy was not written by him. Um, the, uh, there were 306 words that Paul uses in his uh, that Paul does not use in his unquestioned letters that he does use there the style of writing is different from that of the unquestioned letters they reflect conditions and a church organization that apparently was not uh, present in Paul's day and they don't appear in early lists of his canonical works so I don't I don't really worry too much about that now of course 1 Corinthians 14:34 says something similar it says quote, the women should keep silence in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate as even the law says. One thing that's important to point out here is that Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Unlike other major religions, Christianity is documenting things that really happen. It's not only talking about the metaphysical, it's talking about the physical too. It begins. Christianity begins not in poetry, but in journalism, tracking down what a guy did with a bunch of other guys and how he, the divine logos of the universe became Flesh, dwelt among us, was killed and then resurrected to redeem mankind. Uh, So Paul's talking to the Corinthians. There seems to have been an issue in the Corinthian church about disorder and worship during this time. Let's not forget, St. Paul also said there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said in the Summa Theologica, quote, It was right for the woman to be made from a rib of man, first to signify the social union of man and woman, for the woman should neither use authority over man, and so she was not made from his head. Nor was it right for her to be subject to man's contempt as his slave, and so she was not made from his feet. Secondly, for sacramental signification, for from the side of Christ sleeping on the cross, the sacraments flowed, namely blood and water, on which the church was established. So I, I wouldn't uh, use either First Timothy or 1 Corinthians as evidence that we ought to treat women poorly or not let them do anything. Uh, St. Paul himself actually alludes to women praying and prophesying in the church, Um, but we should uh, base our views of the sexes and of ourselves and our relation to God on the text as a whole from Genesis all the way all the way to the end. From Clay, greetings Michael. If you weren't hosting the Michael Knowles show, what would you be doing? From Clay. That's a great question. I would probably be a vagabond. I would probably be begging for money underneath the Queensboro bridge uh, what i did before the michael knowles show and before i published blank books is uh, I, i'm an actor so i was an actor in hollywood and new york and i also ran political campaigns so i started running uh, campaigns and working on campaigns in high school we had some success in new york so i along with some older political veterans founded a little political consulting shop in new york uh, there aren't a lot of republicans out there so you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Uh, we ran a bunch of campaigns over there. I'd probably be doing that because politics is show business for ugly people. They both have a lot in common. They uh, are concerned with truth and with, uh, with people. You have to like people to do well at politics or in acting, certainly, and in, in a lot of artistic vocations. So I'd probably be doing that. But this is a lot of fun, too. I guess this is the combination of both of those, politics and show business. All uh, right, next question from Andrew. Hey, Michael, big fan of the show. I was wondering, what is the best version of the Bible? I personally read the NIV, but I know there's also the the King James, English Standard, American Standard translations. Should I read these two, or should I stick with mine? Also, which do you read? Thanks a million. I do tend to favor the King James version. I read the KJV a lot. Not very Catholic of me, I guess. I really like it. It's really beautiful. I also read the ESV. I I don't know Koine Greek, but I have been told that the NIV is not uh, the best translation by people who do read the Greek. So I stick to those two, I think they're uh, really good. Um, My favorite translation probably of any of them is the Jamaican New Testament, the JNT. I uh, really suggest you look it up, you read it, you Google it. It begins, I think, uh, the Gospel of of John begins, when time did start, the word was with God, and on and on and on. So uh, check it out, a great translation as well. Next question from Benjamin. Hey, Michael, who is your favorite senator and why? My favorite senator in recent memory is Tom Coburn, who I had the privilege of meeting him once or twice. Um, He is... uh, It's probably a sign of the times that I can't name a a sitting senator that I would call my favorite. Coburn was great, though. He served three terms in the House. He served two terms in the Senate. He ended up having to retire for health reasons, but he said he would not seek a third term anyway. He took a little break in between the House and the Senate, had a great career as a medical doctor and in in the private sector. Um, He was an excellent fiscal conservative and a social conservative, really just a model senator. Now he's at the Manhattan Institute, which is a great think tank as well. Uh, the senator should be more like Tom Coburn. Be more like Tom Coburn and uh, have s- some humility. Narcissism is a, an occupational hazard of politics, but I thought he was a really good one. And our current senators who are not being very productive should follow his example. Next question from Emily. Emily, I'd appreciate your opinion about whether or not to address minor harassment from a person of authority at work. I'm the only woman on a team of five. This gender breakdown is common in my field of investment banking. Oh, yeah, that's a very masculine field. Uh, Making it genuinely hard for me to tell if the older man in question simply does not know any better because of the work environment he's experienced most of his career. There have been a few incidents. Two standouts are the time he kissed my cheek as a greeting. it's not good. And the time he threatened to spank me when he was exasperated about how much I was challenging his work methodology. That's probably over the line. The spanking probably crosses the line. I'm reluctant to involve HR because he's a genuinely good character, valuable asset to the firm. It's difficult for me to discuss this issue with him because he views me as a protege and has immense potential to boost my career. Do you have any advice about what I should do next and what I should do the next time he harasses me in an inappropriate manner? You're in a really tough spot, Emily. This is not an easy uh, question. I think you've honed in on it. What do you do the next time this happens? Uh, it seems to me you have three options you can either ignore it and hope that you get an easier career path as a result of it but then the harassment might get worse uh, you can uh, report it to hr that's a pretty uh, uh, that's the, probably the most extreme thing you can do and then it's on the record so if you suffer any repercussions for it it's on the record and it's public and everything or you can approach him personally. If you think he's a good guy, you have a good relationship with him, you can uh, deal with him personally. And the worry here, of course, is that if he responds badly to it and you're either canned or you're not allowed to be promoted at the right pace, then there's there's nothing on the record. Then it's just he, should, he said, she said. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there are consequences to all of them. I think one thing here, pe- people are looking for an easy solution to, to these. I'm not saying you are, but in general, people want these difficult problems to have a simple solution where there are no consequences. There are consequences. A lot of times people write in, they say, should I, I'm a conservative on a college campus. Should I voice my views? I voiced my views and uh, it's worked out just fine for me, I suppose, but there were consequences. There were social consequences, even some academic consequences to it that I had to deal with as a result. Those actresses in Hollywood who said no to Harvey Weinstein, we've never heard of them for a reason. He did, he killed their careers, you know, and they had to deal with that. Maybe they were braver for, for doing it. Now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon and pretending it's courageous. It's not courageous. It was courageous to do it at the time. So, uh, I, I don't know. If I were you, the safe answer is to go through HR. I've, I've run this by a number of my friends, this question, um, because it's it's pretty tough. But. Uh, Either the next time he does it, you can be very frank, very forward. That that might be what I would do in that case. But uh, he, he, what's really bad about what he's doing is he's left you no good option. And if you if you want to play it safe, you should get it on the record. But uh, a, again, none of those are <laughs> none of those sound pleasant, and he's put you in a bad position. So anything you do is going to feel kind of gross, unfortunately. From Teresa, hey Michael. How would you respond to someone who claims that the Catholic Church ordered the execution of Jews during the Holocaust, Teresa? Uh, befuddlement, I think, is how I would respond. <laughs> there, uh, I—that's uh, absurd. Um, the uh, the Catholic Church saved hundreds of thousands of Jews during the uh, Holocaust. Uh, they did it through lobbying. The government. They did it through spying. They did it through providing false documents. They did it through hiding people in monasteries, convents, schools with Catholic families, and even at the Vatican, institutions that the Vatican owned in the Apostolic Palace in, in the Castle Gandolfo. So uh, I've, I've actually never heard this, that the Catholic Church ordered the killing of Jews. If that's fake news out there, then let's try to uh, uh, dispel some confusion. Uh, The Israeli diplomat and historian Pinchas Lapide, I'm probably butchering that name, estimated the figure of Jews who were saved by the Catholic Church during the Holocaust is between 700,000 and 860,000. In the run-up to the war, both Pope Pius XI and Pope Pius XII explicitly preached against racism and war in papal encyclicals. Pope Pius II worked secretly with his close confidant, Father Robert Lieber and Dr. Joseph Mueller, a Catholic German lawyer who, was, who the Nazis tried to assassinate. He worked closely with them at, to, uh, to spy on the Nazis and to uh, subvert their efforts. So he bugged rooms at the Apostolic Pal- Palace when Nazis came around uh hitler actually threatened to kidnap the pope and to take him to Liechtenstein. he said quote i'll go right into the vatican for one thing the entire diplomatic corps are in there we'll get that bunch of swine out of there later we can make apologies according to the ss commander in germany Karl wolf the plan was only thwarted by the allied liberation of italy this doesn't sound like a guy who was collaborating with hitler uh, part of, i think where this Stupid idea comes from is there is a, a lot of revisionist history. One book in particular is called Hitler's Pope by the revisionist John Cornwell. Uh, it, it's nonsense. I mean it, it has been debunked so thoroughly, not only by historical evidence we had at the time, but by new evidence that has emerged since the, the Second World War. Um, one criticism that they make, these revisionists is that Pope Pius the didn't directly call out the Nazis or address them. This is sort of true, though not really. He actually did give a Christmas speech about, about the Nazis, but uh, it's in part also because of uh, uh, keeping innocents safe. So at other times in history, when the church has spoken out against rulers, they've taken it out on the on the persecuted. So in part, it was to protect against innocents. There is, I suppose, a Thomistic concern uh, from the teaching of Thomas Aquinas and from ter- church teaching over regicide when the, the tyrant is not a usurper. Hitler was a tyrant, but he was elected democratically. Um, but more practically, and this has been uncovered in documents, uh, Pope Pius XII was a pragmatist, so he just wanted his spies to be able to work more clearly, and it's a good thing he did because they saved a lot of Jews who were being persecuted in the process. Um, as Father George Rutler describes in his excellent book, Principalities and Powers, a lot of the heroes of that war, a lot of the, the, the great heroes, the great saints, uh, were, were Catholic clergy. So I, I, the stories are endless. I urge you to look that up. But that is just—that's really awful nonsense—and I'm—I'm not surprised that forces, that that great forces on the move in the world, that the principalities and powers of this world would try to to spread such a horrific lie. From Andy Schwab, Michael, you seem to really care for cigars. What made you think that? I enjoyed seeing the nice church warden on your return from England. Do you also enjoy pipes? If so, what is your favorite pipe shape and pipe tobacco? And do you prefer cigars over pipes? If so, why? I do prefer cigars over pipes. I much prefer cigars over pipes, mostly because I have trouble smoking pipes. It's hard to keep them lit, you gotta tamp it and pack it, it's it's tough. I do have a little collection of pipes. Um, my favorite is a 1960s Briar by Dunhill, and I also smoke a, a Dunhill meerschaum I think also from the 60s or 70s, um, but I do it rarely. It's a lot cheaper, so if you're looking to smoke and think and sit by yourself, it's a lot easier to, uh, to maintain your habit of pipes rather than cigars, but cigars are more artistic. It requires someone to roll it, to blend the tobacco. There's a lot more that can go wrong and a lot more that can go right about cigars. There was also a good essay written in First Things about how tobacco corresponds to the tripartite soul. So cigarettes are like the appetite, they're the pathos. Cigars are the spirited part, they're the ethos, which I certainly see, you think of Churchill, you think of the smoke being pushed out to, out of your mouth rather than inhaled and the pipes are the logos the it's feminine it's masculine it's the philosopher smoking look man I'm no philosopher. so uh, I don't the, the health questions it, it's unclear obviously cigars smoking cigars is like eating a bunch of vitamins and and working out you know they're obviously excellent for your health I don't think any real scientist would question that um, but I do prefer cigars good question Austin hey Michael big fan of the show I've got two questions for you first who is your favorite movie director Second, if this director made a movie about your life, what actors would play you? Andrew Clavin and Ben Shapiro. Thanks. Uh, a lot of great directors. I, I don't know that I can really pick one. I love John Ford. I love, uh, uh, I love Francis Ford Coppola. The Godfather is my favorite movie. I, I really like the Coen brothers. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't pick one director or producer team that I, I um, would, would totally privilege over the others, other than maybe John Ford because he's so, so important. Um, for the movie, th- this is what we, we can end on today. For the movie version of The Daily Wire or of my life, who would play the characters? I think this is, uh, this is pretty clear. Um, Daniel Radcliffe would play Ben Shapiro, no question. Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be Andrew Clavin, And for me, it almost goes without saying, Denzel. The similarities are endless, and, uh, and Denzel and I actually have the same acting teacher, 30 years apart in New York. Okay, that's our show. I can't wait for the movie to get made. I'm sure in the rubble of Hollywood, someone will be able to pitch it and get it through. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Survive the weekend. Check out Another Kingdom on iTunes, wherever great narrative podcasts are hosted and downloaded. And we'll see you Monday.